Well, it's our privilege this morning to have Pam Larson uh, as our guest speaker. Uh, Pam and Kevin came to the uh, Urbana Vineyard, where my wife and I were pastoring, uh, in June of 1992, way many years ago. And uh, it was like the next week, Pam started volunteering in our Vineyard Kids program and actually then served as our, our, our kids pastor, Jerry, took a sabbatical. Pam kind of stepped in and took over. And that kind of launched her and Kevin's career in the vineyard of just serving in almost every imaginable capacity they could. Uh, Pam uh, was part of our pilot project, project called Vineyard School of Pastoral Ministry, VSPM, in 1997. Uh, it was a two-year program of training pastoral interns, and it actually worked because Pam then came on our staff part-time as a pastor uh, upon the conclusion of VSPM officially in uh, November of 1997, where she served in lots of areas, but particularly women's ministry, healing, recovery, pastoring in all kinds of capacities, counseling, recovery, small groups. And uh, Kevin served on our board of directors, and they served in about every imaginable capacity uh, in the church life. It was my privilege to serve as Pam's overseer. Uh, she came on the staff full-time for many, many years, and she worked tirelessly there until March 31st, 2011. You'll hear the rest of her story today. So it's just really a, a great privilege to have them with us. I, I know you'll be both encouraged and challenged with the message that she's going to share today. So I'd like to invite you to put up a warm Peoria Vineyard welcome for Pam Larson. And I've really been practicing this, and what I really want to say is like, good morning, Vineyard! <laughs> didn't come out as well as it did at home. Um, <laughs> it really is an honor to be here with you. I've been looking forward to being with you. It's great to see familiar friends and faces and making new friends this morning as we're with you. And um, I really can't tell you how great it is to be here with the Vineyard. I mean, this is Kevin, my tribe. And so just from the moment we walked in the building to the opening chords of worship, I was like, oh, this feels so good, Jesus. Thank you. So I really appreciate you and Tina opening up here, church family, and trusting me with a message this morning. Um, it's really a great honor, and we really love you guys, and we love your church. So, sorry. <sighs> so I've been praying and talking to God a lot about this message. I think we were coming back from a cruise in April when I got the email from you saying, would you be um, open to preaching? And um, so immediately I was like, yes, and then I thought, well, maybe I should pray and see if God is saying yes, and he said yes. So um, I've I've uh, spent a lot of time praying and just really praying for you guys, even though I don't really know you. I've been praying for you and what God has for you this morning. So I'm I'm looking forward to sharing what he's put on my heart. And Ben, I don't know if that is like what you always say. If there was a slip of the tongue about small group and sharing life in crisis. Do you usually say that or is it usually life in Christ? <laughs> because really this message this morning is about how do you deal with life in crisis? So great. Um so why don't we uh, pray, invite the Holy Spirit, because he really is our teacher, and I'm pretty desperate for him. Um, ben keeps telling me this is like riding a bike. Once you get back on, you can do it again. Um, but uh, I really um, welcome and uh, need the presence of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we do welcome your presence here. We take you at your word, that wherever two or more gather in your name, in the powerful name of Jesus, that you are right there in our midst. And so we welcome you to be here um, in the auditorium, in the message this morning, but in kids' church and where anybody is serving this morning, 
uh, making church life happen here at the Peoria Vineyard. We, we thank you for your presence. We ask that your life and your power would be just breathed in every space and room um, upon every person from the youngest to the oldest this morning by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, for your anointing to be upon the teaching, the worship, the ministry, um, even as we gather after uh, the service today to investigate what it means to be a part of a small group. Lord, would you just breathe your life on us and uh, lead us down the paths that are pleasing to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in March of this year, I joined Kevin in Arizona following one of his business trips, and our plan for that trip was really to have no plan and to just do whatever seemed like fun for the day. And about the third day in, what seemed to be the most fun was we were going to just take the 90-mile drive north up to the Grand Canyon. It's one of the seven natural wonders of the world. Neither of us had been there, so we thought, why not? So off we went. And because neither one of us had been there, we had no idea what to expect. So if you've been there, you know, like you, we went to the South Rim at Grand Canyon National Park. We're just tootling around. We walk around the corner and it just sort of bursts out in front of you. And you're just like, <gasps> at least I was, I was just like stunned, speechless. It happens like twice in my life. <laughs> it's the majesty of this incredible natural wonder. It's like God's sculpture in the earth. I mean, you're just like, Wow. This is amazing. And the Grand Canyon is 227 miles long, 18 miles wide, and 6,000 feet deep. And the reason I tell you that is because as you stand on the rim, you feel like you get a 360-degree view of the canyon. I mean, you can see the rocks and all of the trees and the birds, and you see the grass and the flowers. And if you look down, you can see the trails that animals have made through the forest or maybe even like the mule trails for the rides that you can take into the canyon. As you stand there, it's like you can view the canyon through a wide-angle lens, if you will. You can take it all in. But as we stood there... I began to wonder, as I usually do about things, wonder what it's like from the bottom. Like, what's the view like from the bottom? Or what if I went and stood on that rock formation? Or what actually makes up that rock formation? Or what, what kind of trees grow in the Grand Canyon? What kind of birds live here? If, if I was going to want to discover more of those details of the canyon, I was going to need a single focus lens, if you will, to be able to really focus in and understand the complexities of the Grand Canyon. But if I only had a single focus lens and I decided to study the trees, I might decide the canyon is just about trees. Or if I only look through my wide angle lens and from where you're standing on the rim, it looks like there's only pine trees. And I might think, oh, there's only pine trees. When in fact, there are over 300 species of trees in the Grand Canyon. Well, the book of Psalms is a lot like that. In that, the book of Psalms invites us to take a single focus lens look at human experience. As men poured out their heart to God in song or psalms or poems. It's as if God invites us to share with him as if nobody else on the planet existed but you and the crisis you're going through in that moment. At the same time, Psalms demands, if you will, that we step back and take that wide-angle lens view on life and see things from God's perspective. 
so that we can see things from a bigger picture and not just get so myopically involved in our pain, but see where God is working on the earth and in our life as we fit into the bigger picture. So you might think of it this way, that God, through the Psalms, invites us to live in the radical middle and join our smaller thumbnail story to his larger global story. So we make history as we join ourselves with his story. Make make sense? All right. So this morning, we're going to continue the sermon series, Life in the Psalms, in a message that I've entitled, Lord, this betrayal cuts so deep, but your healing runs deeper. As we learn some growing lessons from Psalm 55. And this is a psalm that David wrote when he was in a time of deep pain. And he invites us to both focus deeply inward as we feel and experience with David a tragically painful betrayal. And yet, as we read, you'll see David back up and experience this through God's wide-angle lens and understand it from God's perspective. And even more understanding what the life of David, one of the key characters in God's story, what his life actually represents through Psalm 55. So we learn how healing and redemption are going to run deeper and more powerfully healing than the searing cut of betrayal. So if you want, you can open your Bibles, your iPad, your iPhone, your smartphone, whatever it is you use for God's word to Psalm 55. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them available here at the front. Are they in the back as well, Ben? Um, So you could grab a Bible. They're Ben and Tina's gift to you. Um, They're in a... um, language that you can actually understand. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, so the Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. So while you're getting there, it will be helpful if I give you a little bit of background context to why David wrote Psalm 55. And most scholars agree that 2 Samuel 15 through 17 is the backstory. In fact, I love God's timing. So when Ben emailed me in April and asked me if I would do this, and I said, yes, it's the Psalm series, and he gave me the ones to choose from. I prayed over it. I felt like God said Psalm 55. Well, the week that I was doing the most preparation for this, which was not this past week, but the week prior, we were actually in 2 Psalms 15 through 17. And so in brief, the circumstances that, I mean, in the one-year Bible, sorry, I forgot to tell you that because I follow the one-year Bible. Anyhow, in brief, the circumstances leading up to David writing this psalm is that his son Absalom has rebelled against his leadership because he got a whole lot of issues with his daddy. And he's now in a vengeful attempt to take over the kingdom. And David's close friend and advisor, like a cabinet member to the president, really has treacherously betrayed David and gone over to the other side to advise Absalom in this rebellion and the entire story which we don't have time to go into and isn't really necessary for this morning but is really worth reading if you haven't because if you ever thought the Bible was boring this story will tell you it's not because this story is full of intrigue sibling rivalry sexual tension love hatred lust rape murder betrayal vengeance rebellion deceit family dysfunction disobedience and its uh, consequences kind of sounds like something on like I don't know Netflix or you know, network television these days. So as we prepare to read the psalm this morning, note the progression. David begins by just crying out to the Lord, telling him, this is what's going on in my life. 
And the language of this psalm as he pours out his heart before the Lord is almost heartbreaking to read if you'll let the depth and the complexity of it really wash over you. David is agitated. He's weeping. He's frightened and hurting. He's emotionally raw as he unashamedly just tells God, this is what happened to me and I'm sick about it. And he's vengeful, yet as we will learn in the psalm, he's content to let God deal with this betrayal as he sees fit. You might even imagine that David is pacing back and forth as he's pouring out his heart to God. This is what I see him. He's pacing. And then like the thought comes to mind and he's scribbling it down on his parchment as this psalm just pours out of him before the Lord. So let David's words sink in as we zoom in on the pain and the cut of betrayal that he's feeling. And yet as he zooms back out and tries to understand this, or at least trust God's perspective on it. Psalm 55 from the New Living Translation. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Please listen and answer answer me, for I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My enemies shout at me, making loud and wicked threats. They bring trouble on me, and they angrily hunt me down. My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. Oh, that I had wings like a dove. Then I would fly away and rest. I would fly away like a, to the quiet of the wilderness. How quickly I would escape. Far from this wild storm of hatred. Confuse them, Lord, and frustrate their plans. For I see violence and conflict in the city. Its walls are patrolled day and night against invaders. But the real danger... The real danger, God, is wickedness within the city. Everything is falling apart. Threats and cheating are rampant in the streets. It is not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, my equal, my companion and close friend. What good fellowship we once enjoyed as we walked together to the house of God. Sorry. Let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive or evil makes its home within them. But I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Morning, noon and night I cry out in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me, though many still oppose me. God, who has ruled forever, will hear me and humble them, for my enemies refuse to change their ways. They do not fear God. As for my companion, he betrayed his friends. He broke his promises. His words are as smooth as butter, but in his heart is war. His words... They're as soothing as lotion, but underneath are daggers. Give your burdens to the Lord, and he will take care of you. He will not permit the godly to slip and fall. But you, O God, will send the wicked down to the pit of destruction. Murderers and liars will die young, but I am trusting you to save me. I so appreciate how David just lays it out there. He's not afraid to tell God what's happened. 
who did it to him and what he wants from God. And yet at the end, it's really about his utter trust in a good God. And you'll notice at the end of the psalm, he invites us to do the same thing, to give our burdens to the Lord. So let's dig into this psalm a little bit more. First of all, what is betrayal? Because that's what this psalm is about. Betrayal is the deep violation of a relationship. The disregard or harm done to the dignity of another person through the actions of a trusted authority or friend. Probably every one of us in this room have experienced betrayal at some level. We can experience betrayal in many ways. Some examples might be a parent, step-parent, or a guardian can betray us through abuse, neglect, abandonment, or harsh words. A spouse, a partner, or a significant other can betray us through an affair, an addiction, abandonment, abuse, or neglect. A boss can betray us by passing us over for a promised raise or a promotion or by taking credit for one of our ideas or proposals. A coworker can betray us by lying to us, blame shifting, taking credit for our ideas or for the success of an event. A pastor or a spiritual leader can betray us by, ha- by hiding and covering their moral failure, yet holding their congregation or small group or whomever they're leading to an impossible standard or using the people that follow them to objectify them uh, to, as a means to their own um, needs. A child can betray us by lying to us, by disobeying us, by rebelling. We can even feel betrayed by God when our health fails or our deep heart desires go unmet or our prayers are still not answered, or a loved one dies an untimely death, or we lose our home or something dear to us due to a tornado or a flood or something that is outside of our control. And a friend can betray us by sharing a confidence. Because betrayal, the deepest cut of betrayal is when someone who knows us deeply and intimately, someone that we've trusted Trusted enough to share our deep heart with, trusted enough to confide, maybe some of the darker places even about us. When that friend shares a confidence with someone who would wish us evil, the Bible calls that an enemy. And it is this type of betrayal that has driven David to write Psalm 5. As I said earlier, the the betrayer that David is writing about is Ahithophel. And 1 Chronicles 27, 33 tells us that Ahithophel was King David's closest counselor. He was a gifted and recognized personality. But even more so, Ahithophel was someone that David worshipped God with. They were the best of friends who shared their hearts. David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, would have felt it very deeply. It would have cut him so deeply that a man that he had gone to temple with, worshipped God with, probably sang some of his psalms of praise and honor to the Lord with Ahithophel there, would have uh, sacrificed this Ahithophel that he felt so deeply connected to had betrayed him and was now sharing things about him that could very well overthrow the kingdom. David felt this betrayal very deeply. So what can we learn from this psalm. Why would God even put this in the Bible for us? Well, I think there's five incredibly powerful things that we can learn from this psalm. First, the correct response to betrayal. And I don't mean to belittle or minimize betrayal because 
on that list, I'd probably check off every last one of them as something I've experienced in my life. But according to this psalm, and really God's whole story, is that prayer is the correct response to betrayal. Not running to your best friend or your husband or your spouse or your, you know, whomever you would talk to. Not that you can't share your heart because, believe me, I've bled my heart in the last three years all over my husband and some of my dearest and closest and trusted friends. But prayer is the correct response to betrayal. And this is a constant theme for for David. Psalm 55 starts out saying, listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my cry for help. Psalm 4.1, have mercy on me and hear my prayer. 17.1, pay attention to my prayer. 54.2, listen to my prayer. 61.1, oh God, listen to my cry, hear my prayer. Uh, 69.16, don't hide from your servant. Answer me quickly for I am in deep trouble. And this is a theme throughout the whole Bible, even in the New Testament. I've just picked two. Philippians 3.6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. James 5.13, I love this. Like, can't cut to the quick any better than this. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. So when we experience betrayal... No matter how deep the cut goes of betrayal, the correct response in our suffering is you should pray. Secondly, we learn that the consequences of betrayal are deep anguish and despair emotionally, spiritually, and physically. Listen to David's words. I am overwhelmed by my troubles. My heart pounds in my chest. Terror and death assault me. I'm trembling. I can't stop shaking. I mean, David isn't just like, this feels kind of bad, Lord. It's kind of been a sucky day. I mean, he, I mean, I imagine David just almost in a fetal position at times. Like this has cut him so deeply. The emotions are running so deeply. He's, he's almost trying to contain what's happening physically. And he's also having a physical response to it, shaking from what's going on. Thirdly, we learn that this can create a paralyzing fear and a desire to run away. Again, listen to David's words. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and rest. I would quickly escape from this wild storm of hatred. I find this quite fascinating about King David because this is the warrior King David. And he is afraid. He is so afraid he wants to run away. This is the David for whom all of Israel said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. This is the the almost mythical shepherd boy, David, who just bravely and almost arrogantly walked out in front of the giant Goliath who was coming against and speaking against the God of Israel and said, who speaks against the God of Israel and killed him with a slingshot and five small stones. I mean, this is the warrior King David who finally brought peace to Israel. And he is shaking with so much fear. He just wants to run away and hide. There is something so incredibly painful and fearful about being betrayed by someone who really knows you. Listen to what 2 Samuel 16, 23 says. This gives you some insight perhaps into why David was so afraid and wanted to run away. It says, Absalom followed Ahithophel's advice just as David had done. For every word Ahithophel spoke seemed as wise 
as though it had come directly from the mouth of God. I mean, David had reason to be afraid. Ahithophel was a very wise man, and if Absalom was going to follow everything that Ahithophel told him to do, the chances of Absalom overthrowing the kingdom were like 100%. Ahithophel knew who David was. He knew his weak spots. He knew his fears. He knew his character. So it wasn't, it wasn't just the betrayal. It was what Ahithophel knew about David that could overthrow the kingdom, that could be his undoing. So it's understandable that David is afraid. I mean, I just found it incredibly fascinating and yet solved to my soul for so many uh, months, um, which I'll get to in a moment, but that David could shake with fear and trembling um, for whatever reason actually made me feel less crazy in certain times in my life. Um, fourth, we, we learned that betrayal brings a deep desire for vengeance. Get him, God. David said in verse 9, confuse them, Lord, frustrate their plans. I see violence and conflict in the city. Verse 15, let death stalk my enemies. Let the grave swallow them alive. David is not afraid to tell God, listen, they did me wrong. They caught me deeply. I'm shaking. I'm afraid. I just want to run away and hide. And I really need you to go and avenge me. I need you to take down my enemies. He is not afraid to say, this is what I want from you, God. But that leads into what I believe is the absolute core of Psalm 55 and that this is ultimately a psalm of utter trust and faith and belief in a God who has the ability to rescue and turn what men mean to do for evil in our lives into good. And it's also an invitation for us to see and experience the same thing because in Psalm 16, he says, I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me. Verse 17, morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress, and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle waged against me. This is a man who can tell God everything that's going on. He can myopically, single lens sort of focus in like this betrayal is running so deep, God. It has cut me so deep. I'm bleeding. I'm hemorrhaging internally. But I need to step back and see this from your perspective and trust that you will rescue me. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust that you are bigger than this situation. For most of 2010 and 2011, I pretty much lived in the Psalms, particularly David's Psalms of um, betrayal and rescue me from my enemies, which is a large part of David's Psalms, because that is exactly the experience I was having in my former job. These are Psalms about being lied about, accused, and betrayed, and that is right where I was. In fact, this stack of journals <clears throat> is from, <laughs> I am not a woman of few words, um, <laughs> and I'm not a woman who writes few words. Um, this stack of journals represents my psalms, if you will, to the Lord in 2010 and 2011, as I was just crying out to the Lord, trying to sort out what is going on, God. People are lying about me. They're accusing me. I mean, I understood how deeply David felt that Ahithophel, someone he'd basically gone to church with, and, you know, this was someone that he did life with, not only, um, you know, life outside as a warrior king and leading the kingdom, but they did kingdom life together with God. And this was my experience of having people I thought that I could trust, that I had actually, two people in particular, I had shared deep parts 
of my soul with them. A lot of my fears, a lot of my character defects of which I have plenty. Kevin Larson will tell you that. Um, and, uh, and this turned out to be a bad idea on my part. I shared with people I should not have shared with. I mean, I thought I could. And they ended up using information that they knew about me that I had confided to accuse, lie, and betray me. And, I mean, Kevin and several of you, others of you who kind of went through that with me know that, I mean, there were times I would come out of meetings and I would literally be like David, just shaking with fear. Like, all I wanted to do was run away. And it was so bizarre for me because I'm not a runner. I mean, I am a stick to it, make it happen. We can make this work happen. I mean, we can do this thing. And and so the fact that it wasn't happening was incredibly painful for me. And the fact that there was not going to be reconciliation was something my brain just could not wrap around. I mean, I mean, how many times, Kevin, would I say to you, we're not going to reconcile. Like, I can't, I can't get this. Like, th- there's no way to fix this situation. I mean, I'd gone back and said I was sorry and I'd, wrote letter to the men's and I confessed to everything and and because you know I'm human I had I had my part of things but nothing I did deserved the type of and level of deep betrayal and accusation that was that was coming at me and and so psalms was like oil to my soul I mean it just I, I would get up in the morning and just read psalm 55 I mean in my bible which I forgot to bring my little NIV Bible, Psalm 55 and Psalm 41 are almost falling out of my Bible because I read them and read them and read them and I wrote all over them. And, uh, and But I learned so much out of that time. It's not a time I particularly want to go through again, but I learned a lot. And that's what I want to, where I want to go to now is not only what this Psalm tells us, but what can we learn from betrayal? Because it isn't just like, oh, we got betrayed, whoopee, I mean, now move on with life. There's always something bigger that God is doing. And so I have several things that I feel like God has shown me that I have learned in the blood, sweat, and tears of pain and trial and healing from a deep cut of betrayal. So the first is that we can be assured that the pain and bitterness of betrayal is not a random accident or outside of God's control. If you have experienced betrayal at any level, which probably most of us have, then you can be sure that this didn't just happen outside of God's control or that he didn't know that this was happening to you. Verse 22, again, it says, Give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. He will not allow the godly to slip and fall. So we can be assured that when we are in painful times that that create opportunity for bitterness to really want to take a root in us that that God is in control of it this is also a new testament theme Romans 8 28 very famous verse says you know God works all things together for good for those who love the Lord and James 1 another verse that I just kept going back to and back to and back to in that time frame was count it all joy when you suffer challenges knowing this that God is working this out to mature you and grow you up. And so I know this is, this is, this is kind of a hard pill to swallow, but this is one of those prescriptions that Dr. Jesus is saying, you need, you need this medicine because this will help you get better. And so when we focus on immediate causes, when we keep 
focusing in or brooding, as Ben talked about in the opening uh, message on this, we end up in despair and anger and bitterness. I once heard Dr. Laura Schlesinger say that bitterness and resentment are a poison we swallow, hoping the other person will die. I mean, true words never spoken because bitterness just eats us up and it becomes a toxic waste that sort of emanates and oozes out from us. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. And so if we just stay there, sort of myopically focusing on the betrayal, we become sort of a toxic waste dump, caustic, and it it begins to affect all of our relationships. In the last year, I had two, irrespective of, of what my experience was in my former job, but I had two friends and people I'd also counseled through the years who Literally, bitterness was eating them alive, and it, it was the severing of our relationship. Not, not because I wanted it severed, but they just could not, they wanted to stay in that space. And in order to continue to stay in their brooding, bitter place from, and they both have had deep betrayals in their life, they had to just, they, you systematically start to cut people off. So we don't want to stay there, because it doesn't, it, it doesn't just affect us, it begins to corrupt all of our relationship. And it's very easy to think only of the people who have hurt us so deeply to focus in on that that wound of the betrayal. When our parents or sibling or grandparents or friends we thought we could trust or our church members who've let us down or people at work who've stabbed us in the back. The list goes on and on. I'm sure every one of us could add something to the list of someone and some event where betrayal occurred in our life. But as long as we focus exclusively on the people who hurt us, We are doomed to dwell in that swampy morass of toxic bitterness. And it it is not a good place to go. I mean, about every day in this these stack of journals here, almost every day I, I would beg God, please don't let me be overcome by bitterness and resentment. Please don't let the desire for vengeance take me out, Lord. I give all of this to you because I don't want to become that toxic waste dump and end up bitter and alone somewhere in my life. Far better for us to understand that our enemies, who sadly are often our friends and family, are actually instruments in God's hands. And here's the kind of hard pill to swallow, tough medicine from Jesus. They are his rod to correct us and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, I want to make sure you understand that God's purpose is and those who have betrayed us, their purposes are very different. They're, they're worlds apart. Our enemies mean to harm us, to drag us down, to hurt us deeply, and to so discourage us that we give up and never experience the abundant, joy-filled life that Jesus died to give us. And for some of us, we may never fulfill the call of God upon our life because we've let bitterness take us down. No, God allows our enemies to taunt us and torment us, but his purposes are higher and better and nobler. I ran across Psalm 119, 105 in the daily reading a couple weeks ago, and I've just been meditating on this one sentence. It says that the Lord tested Joseph's character until the time came to fulfill his dreams. Joseph was another biblical character who had been deeply betrayed and who was able to say what you meant for evil in my life, God has meant for good. I forgive you. And so often God is using, God didn't orchestrate the evil or orchestrate the betrayal. Please don't hear me say that. 
But, but God only has humanity and broken humanity to work with. And so he uses what the enemy is trying to do to hurt us. And he'll use even people in order to bring about the goodness of the kingdom of God and to form and formulate our character so that our dreams can be fulfilled. It seems that God wants our character equal to the dream. And I think the bigger the dream, the bigger the call, the more the character is going to be tested. Secondly, we learn to see good where others can only see evil. More than anything else, this was the secret of David's life. It's actually, I think, the secret of every biblical character who did anything phenomenal in the kingdom of God. And it's a secret of every 21st century person who's following Jesus. The secret is we see God everywhere. David had such a profound sense of God's presence that he understood that every event of his life must somehow be ascribed to the hand of God working behind the scenes. That's why he could pray. As for me, I call to God and the Lord saves me. That's why he could trust that God would rescue him unharmed from the battle because he believed that God's purposes were bigger and that there was a bigger plan going on here than he could see with his single focus lens. And that if God was allowing this betrayal to happen, to cut him so deeply that there must be something powerful that God was going to bring out of it because God never wastes our pain. God will never waste your pain. God will never waste your painful experience. He will always use it to bring about something beautiful and good and powerful in your life. But but to sort of drill into that point a little bit deeper, we need to understand that David understood more than simply, well, God was there when all the bad things happened. That That is true, but it does not comprehend the full sense of what David understood or Joseph understood or what Jesus understood when he was betrayed by the kiss of a friend. No, what they mean to say is God is in charge of the whole process. It's not as if Ahithophel betrayed David and then God went, oh, wait a minute, what's going on down there with David and Ahithophel? I better intervene. No, God knew beginning to end and he was inviting David to be a part of the process so that all of the 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 power and the anointing of the kingdom of God and the good things that God had for David could come to pass in his life. This is a profound view of the sovereignty of God. And, you know, betrayal of any kind creates some level of crisis in our life, whether it's one that's just like, ooh, that cut a little bit, that kind of hurt, that friend kind of tattled on me, or a deep betrayal like this, and it causes us to rethink many of our beliefs and even question our faith at times. Um, and a quote for you from Dan Allender in his excellent book, Leading with a Limp, which is about him being betrayed in leadership. He says this, crisis is the eruption of chaos, the cloudburst that ruins the beautiful day. We want fair winds and a safe run from our port to the destination ahead. We may have secured a favorable weather report and prepared the boat for every possible problem, but as sure as the sun will rise, tides will change, and entropy happens. Few of our plans will go as we design. There is no way to plan for all the contingencies or have all the knowledge we need to navigate the strange waters of life. Crisis is not a bump in the pavement that causes us to hold the steering wheel more tightly on our life. It is the wall that we hit 
while we're steering with everything we've got. And it leaves us wondering, how will we survive? Crisis is the context for opportunity and growth, but it also takes us to the very edge where sometimes we feel like we won't survive. You might read it this way. Betray or betrayal is the context for opportunity and growth, but it can and will take us to the edge where we may not feel like we can survive. But for God, I wrote this um, in a blog post several months ago about this very uh, topic. I said, I do believe that I, Pam, have been running the race that Jesus has marked out for me. Frankly, however, I was pretty smug in my confidence in knowing my destination and exactly how I was going to get there. I just didn't see the sharp left turn in the road caused by betrayal that Jesus had marked out for me. And I'm positive that it's a really good thing that I didn't see it ahead of time or I would have done everything in my power. I would have held so tightly to that steering wheel. I would have done everything in my power to fix what would have been, in my thinking, a very divergent path. I would have done everything I could to make 2010 and 2011 not happen. Everything. I just couldn't plan for all the contingencies. And now I find myself in strange waters, and it is an opportunity for growth. It is taking me to the very edge of everything I've ever believed about everything I've ever done and what I thought God called me to and the dreams that I've had and the prayers that have been prayed over me and the prophecies that have been said to me and blah, 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 the things I've written in my Bible, in my journal. It has taken me to the very edge and I can only pray that I will survive. I know that sounds pretty melodramatic, but some days I don't feel that way anymore at all. I don't feel that way, but for 2011 and a large portion of the beginning of 2012, that's exactly how I felt. I felt just like David, emotionally and spiritually wrought and overcome by evil, but with a great trust that God was going to prevail. And I'm beginning to see that happen. The next thing we learn is that we learn how to forgive those who have hurt us. And for those of us who follow Jesus, who said, I'm, I'm going to be one of your disciples, forgiveness is not an option. The Bible never says, if you feel like forgiving, then do this. The Bible always says, when you forgive. And there is no statute of limitations on forgiveness. Peter asked Jesus at one time, like, when do I get to not forgive this guy anymore? Because he keeps doing the same thing over and over to me. And Jesus said, well, actually, you're just going to keep on forgiving. We just keep on forgiving. Now, it's important to understand that forgiveness does not necessarily mean reconciliation. For some of us, I mean, especially if there is a deep betrayal, a deep break in a relationship, sometimes you can experience reconciliation. I mean, largely, that's the story of my life. Reconciled with my dad after he betrayed my family by leaving us. Kevin and I have reconciled over some deep betrayals that we've had in our relationship. I've reconciled with friends. But this particular situation in my life, no reconciliation. In fact, I had one key player tell me no less than three times We are not going to reconcile. I have no interest in reconciling with you. I have no interest in healing this relationship. And yet, God said every single day, you must forgive. You must forgive. Because forgiveness is just canceling the debt. It's saying, I want vengeance on you. I want to see you hunted down like a dog and pay for what you did to me. I mean, that's being that honest before the Lord. But forgiveness says, but I cancel the debt. I can't do that. In fact, 
You can't even pay me back what you owe me. There's no way you can give back what you stole from me in this betrayal. So I'm going to cancel the debt and I'm going to allow Jesus to stand between you and me and all of this pain and all of the consequences of these actions against me. And I'm going to let him do it. I'm going to be like David. God, you, you confuse them. You do what needs to be done. As for me, I'm going to move on with my life and I'm going to have a really good life. And I'm not going to carry this pain and this agony and this anguish and this fear with me anymore. Lastly, we have a new admiration for God's wisdom in all things. You might think of it like this. Like maybe we're like ants crawling across a a painting by Rembrandt. I love art. It's incredibly inspiring, whether it's God's art or it's someone like Rembrandt. So we're ants crawling across a painting. And when we come to the darker colors, it seems as if the entire painting is dark, somber, forbidding. Everything around us is dark brown or dark blue or midnight black. It feels claustrophobic and like you can't catch your breath. And is there ever going to be light? But if you could step back from the painting, take a wider angle view, you will see that the darker hues are offset by the lighter colors. That the reds, the greens, the yellows, the blues, the oranges, the whites are all there. And it is the darkness of the darker hues that make the brightness and the beauty of the brighter colors stand out more vividly. And so it is with life itself. We can spend days or weeks or years in the dark tones of life because of health or because our health betrays us or a spouse or a friend or a boss or or some betrayal, some deep pain. We can stay there because the circumstances of life have us there. And it feels like it's always dark. But eventually, if we're willing to cry out to God, oh, God, you have your way in this. You make something good come out of this pain. If we can do this, then we can eventually see the lighter, more beautiful places in our life. So how can we live in a world where tragedy is never far away? The answer is simple, though not easy to put into practice. We live as David taught us in this psalm. We live by faith. We choose to believe that God is at work in everything that happens to us. Not that God is creating the evil, but we choose to believe that God is in it and that he has your best interest at heart. In uh, 2011, right, as, as all this stuff was heating up, I was taking a prayer walk before the Lord and crying out to him and mostly ranting and raving at God, which is what I do a lot when I'm in pain. And um, and I was just like, what are you going to do? Are you going to get them? How long do they get to be this way? And, you know, I felt God just sort of intersect my rambling at him. And and I, I, and I can only say I kind of heard it in my spirit. I heard God say, could I talk now? I was like, okay, sure, you're God, you can talk. And he said, um, what happened? We had a home fire in 2007. What happened after the fire in 2007? I was like, well, you gave us a better house. What happened after you totaled your car in 2009? You gave me a better car. So do you not think that I don't have a better job for you? Do you not think that I don't have better plans for you? This is just, I just need to use this to get you to where you need to go. I will always choose well for your life. If you hear nothing else today, hear all this, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the betrayal, in the midst of the confusion, Jesus 
will always choose well for your life. He may not always choose easy, but he will always choose well. So as we head into a time of worship, I want to encourage you to just invite the Holy Spirit to minister to the areas of your life that may be in pain because of a, of a betrayal that you've experienced in your life. Maybe it's fresh or maybe it's an old one that still pops up and you brood on it and you're just carrying it along like dead weight. Let him show you where you have an opportunity to grow and heal as a result of this betrayal. Because no one understands betrayal like Jesus. We all actually ultimately betrayed Jesus unto death. He understands and he wants to be with you to turn it into good. So um, as we stand to worship, the offering bag is going to be passed. So you could drop your connect card and the offering bag as it goes by. I'm going to pray over the offering and we're going to spend some time just worshiping Jesus. So Lord, we thank you that you always do choose well for our lives. Out of the morass and the pain of bitter betrayal, you bring beautiful color and light. You form our character in such a way that we can fulfill the dreams that you have for our lives. And so, Lord, I pray you would minister to us as we come to you and worship. I pray as we worship you through our tithes and offerings, Lord, that you would bless the offering, bless the giver of the gifts today. We pray that it would go far and wide in the kingdom doing your work. In Jesus' name, amen.